she has only been painted by male sources and she was just a huge raucous for, for Rome in general. So it's not surprising that they painted her in a negative light. So I really wanted to bring her in today and let the crowds know her side of the story, which we might find out is a lot more tasteful, is a lot more endearing, is a lot more inviting. So I'll just give you a little background. Her father was Ptolemy XII, who ruled over Alexandria. And this, as you know, if you've been listening, is a city built by Alexander the Great and hence why it's called Alexandra, and then it was developed by the Platonomies, and they had a lot, a lot of power. So Cleopatra was clearly, from our sources, very intelligent, and she's regarded as an intellectual, born with a high level of education, of linguistic skills, and as a ruler, in more favourable positions with Rome, through her alliances, alliances is a, a, a smooth, loose term, we're going to delve further into that later with Caesar and Anthony. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Erotism between men certainly boosts the fighting She is entering the studio, I repeat, she is entering the studio. She has this ridiculously heavy gold necklace around her neck which sort of allows her chest to really show off its full glory. She has long dangly gold earrings and a white clean shirt, no doubt cleaned by her fellow slaves and of course she is wearing a dangling, alluring charm on her head. So, thanks for coming in today, Cleo. Thank you for having me. So, you were born around 69 AD, and let's be honest, you had a pretty indulgent upbringing. But, in striking contrast to your, your fellow pharaohs, you made great use of the fact that you the fact that you could go to the Library of Alexandria, which was, of course, a great centre for learning and culture with a high value of Greek education. And you were the, the first of the Platonomies ever to actually learn Egypt, Egyptian. Why is that? Well, apparently, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about me, so I learned these languages so that I could understand what they were saying, especially the pharaohs. Um, and by the way, I also learned Latin, which comes very handy when I meet my Romans, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, 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 we know what you mean, Claire. More, more onto that later. So, incest is best, put your brother to the test, was perhaps your mantra, wasn't it? I mean, you married your brother, is that correct? This was not my mantra, this was obligatory in order to continue the single man authority of the pharaohs. I had to marry my brother at 13 years old to maintain the bloodline, but I ended up killing him anyway, so, you know, it wasn't a thing for too long, fortunately. That, that is a relief. That, this seems to be, whenever I interview women, the main thing, that they just didn't have a choice who they married, and you had to marry your brother, and let's be honest, that went down like a pint of sick. But good on you for um, getting, getting rid, rid of, of him. him. <laughs> <laughs> So all our sources from your time tell us that everyone in line very suspiciously died having the Egyptian 
thrown left to you, uh, 18-year-old Cleopatra. What is more the self-defense mechanism? According to Plutarch, after your brother's ascension to the throne, Platonomy's advisors acted against you in 49 BC, is that correct? Wait, what does BC mean? Oh yes, this, this old question. Well, BC, okay, before COVID-19, before Christopher Columbus, before Coco Chanel, before Camilla Parker Bowles, before... What are you saying? All of this stuff, Cleopatra, you'll, you'll understand one day. Let's, let's get back to it. Is this correct? Um, well, yes, this is why I was forced to flee Egypt for Syria. Um, here I raised an army of mercenaries and returned the following year to face my brother's forces in a civil war at Pelusion on Egypt's eastern border. And meanwhile, after allowing the Roman general Pompey to be murdered, Platonomy XIII, your brother, welcomed his, welcomed his rival Julius Caesar to Alexandria. This is when I smuggled myself into the royal palace to plead my case to Caesar, but I won't get into details. But you will later, Cleo, if I manage to swindle out of you. This is one of my favourite parts of historiography revolving around you, because Plutarch talks about you going to meet Caesar for the first time. So he said this, uh, so obviously you had to come incognito, you couldn't be recognised to go see him. She said she could not enter it without being recognised. She wrapped herself in a bundle of blankets, which Apollodorus tied with a strap, which made her capable to enter Caesar by the very door of the palace. The trick of Cleopatra was the first bait from which Caesar was taken. He conceived a favourable idea of it in his mind and afterwards conquered by her gentleness, by her graces of conversation. He reconciled her with her brother on condition that she would share the throne. First of all, did this prove difficult? Um, not at all. For his part, Caesar needed to fund his own return to power in Rome and needed Egypt to repay the debts incurred by Aulites. It proved successful because Caesar's army eventually forced Ptolemy the Thirteenth to flee Alexandria and drown in the Nile. Good riddance. <laughs> and 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 what, what I'm keen to know: well, why had Pompey actually taken refuge at Egypt at this point? Alexandria owed them about seventeen point five million drachma at this point, and they felt that they had every right to use Alexandria as a refuge, and there had been no particular previous political outbreaks. Until you, you come onto the scene. <laughs> but, you know, it was inevitable for two major powers to, to come into battle. It's a bit of a Achaeans versus Trojans, Trojan War sort of um, situation. So Caesar then entered Alexandria as an unpopular conqueror and restored the throne to you. And this is now in 47 BC. You know, I've already explained, tried to explain what that means. And this is when you gave birth to your son, who the Egyptians called Caesarian, Little Caesar. Oh yeah, my baby, my darling. This is when our relationship grew from a seed into a rosemary bush, to the extent that I moved back to Rome with him and Caesarian. Wow, so you guys didn't beat around the rosemary bush. You, you really, you clearly actually formed a... a a relationship based on love and Caesarian 
we'll touch on later. This is what lots of scholars call a love child between you two. So, big question. Why do you think Caesar crossed the Rubicon? And what happened after? Did he just carpe diem and veni vidi vici himself a bit too dry? Did he feel like it was appropriate to deny the Senate his end of rulership and continue the Republic in a restored order? In fact, I just actually want to touch on this a bit. There have been so many comparisons between Trump and Caesar at this point because both really struggled to end their, well, some call it a dictatorship, some call it a, a rulership. And that's why they've been compared too much. But you won't know who Trump is, so I'm just going to move on. So, yeah, tell us, tell us, why why did he do it and what happened after? Right, um, he crossed the Rubicon because he believed himself to be the most valuable military general from the Roman Empire and power had corrupted his mind. Then, of course, the Senate planned his assassination and stabbed him 24 times, so that happened. Oh, etu brutes, what, one of the most famous lines ever. That must have crushed your heart 24 times. So Cicero describes you leaving after his murder in 44 BC. So what were the consequences of his murder and why? Um, of course, I was no longer protected in Rome. Uh, it was moral failing in Rome for Caesar to have his mistress visible and dominant. And the Senate and most Roman men were vexed because it was initially supposed to be a relationship with the Roman state. But it was only Caesar in the end. Um, so I evacuated the dance floor, if I may say so. Uh, at this point, a conflict was raging in Rome between a second triumvirate of Caesar's allies, who were Mark Anthony, Octavian and Lepidus, and his assassins, Brutus and Cassius. This has been a platform for a lot of tragedies, especially from William Shakespeare. So... This is when the liaison with Mark Antony, your second Roman man, erupts. Tell us how that started then. Um, he summoned me to the Sicilian city of Tarsus on the pretext of explaining my role in Caesar's assassination. Oh, classic. He had to explain your role to, of Caesar's assassination, of course. So just to intervene a bit here. This is modern-day Turkey for the economy Tarsus, and this is where a story recorded by Plutarch and later dramatised by Shakespeare, you sailed to Tarsus in an elaborate ship dressed in the robes of Isis, uh, the Egyptian female deity at this point. So this is what I really want to know because Plutarch and Horace love to make everything very theatrical in their writing and given that you yourself came from a holistic background associated with drama and tragedy it wouldn't surprise me if they exaggerated the truth of this a lot so for Plutarch, you summon Mark Antony on your boat a boat of Aphrodite and surrounded by mermaids so can you tell us the truth is this is this accurate um, well, Plutarch's account must be taken with a pinch of salt, but I did dwell in theatre. Um, at this point, what male sources refuse to point out is that Mark Anthony was sitting in the port and was utterly humiliated because I have the control. Um, in my boat, surrounded by mermaids dressed as Aphrodite, I said, you have to come to me. Then he sailed back to Egypt with me. We grew extremely fond of each other's company. Yeah, I mean, clearly. And I think... At this point, you strongly identified yourself with the goddess Isis. 
the sister wife of Orisis and mother of Horus, the, as I said, female deity at this point. Can you, can you tell us why? It was an ancient Egyptian tradition of associating royalty with divinity. I wanted to reinforce my position. My stagecraft was hugely successful in wooing potential allies and reinforce my divine status. And quite frankly, to Mark, who associated himself with the Greek deity Dionysus, this seduced him. He agreed to protect Egypt and my crown. And it worked out in his favor after the Battle of Philippi, though. After defeating the forces of Brutus and Cassius, they needed Egyptian support. It seems like these political alliances did always work out for both parties until we get to the Battle of Actium. Let's talk about that, and it's quite upsetting. So he then followed you back to Egypt and left his third wife, Fulvia, and their children in Rome. How, how do you feel about that one, Cleo? Yeah, he wanted my spice and I gave him paprika. No, but really, we formed our drinking society, the Inimitable Livers. Our group engaged in nightly feasts and wine binges. We occasionally took part in elaborate games and contests. One of Anthony's and my favorite activities was wandering around the streets of Alexandra in disguise and playing pranks on its residents. Oh, to be young. <laughs> Aside from the drinking, he was obtaining funds from his military campaign against Parthia through his alliance with Egypt. And I want to know, what did you gain in the, in the relationship? Much of Egypt's Eastern Empire, including Cyprus, Crete, Cyrenaica, which I think I've read somewhere is called Libya nowadays, am I right? I think you are right. Jericho, and large portions of Syria and Lebanon. And I also gained more heirs. I gave birth to twins, Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Cellini. Well, congratulations on those. I know childbirth wasn't an easy process back then. No. Don't remind me. In So, okay, so this is now when stuff gets really heated because in a public celebration in 34 BC, known as the Donations of Alexandria, Antony declared Caesarians Caesar's son and the rightful heir, as opposed to his adopted son Octavian, and awarded land to each of his children with you. So this has been seen as the melting point of when the Roman Senate and the Roman consuls and Octavian Lepidus were, ab were absolutely furious. I mean, they, they, Octavian had grown up thinking, the, Octavian, just for everyone else, becomes Augustus, so where we get August from, the, the emperor who led the Golden Age, one of the most famous Roman emperors ever. So he had been destined for this Golden Age, so the fact that it was taken away from him, the fact that this I really dislike this expression, but this is the expression that would have been used. Bastard child, this illegitimate child between you two, formed not out of a arranged marriage, was really, really scandalous. So this didn't go down nicely with Octavian and Lepidus. So how, how did they react? This began a war of propaganda between him and the furious Octavian, who claimed that Anthony was entirely under my control and was conspiring to abandon Rome and found a new capital in Egypt. I mean, they stripped my baby off his titles after that and eventually declared war. This is the famous Battle of Actium. So this is 31 BC and, and sadly Octavian's forces they did defeat yours. Yeah. The conflict reached its climax the following year in a famous naval battle at Actium. 
Uh, I personally led several dozen Egyptian warships into the fray alongside Anthony's fleet, but we were no match for Octavian's navy, and we were forced to break through the Roman line and flee to Egypt. It's tough. It's tough. It's almost as if you you would you push them so far. It was slightly inevitable. There is there's so many beautiful imagery in Slovakia, which I'm going to show you later. So the great question is, this is the big one, clear, really huge. Did you kill yourself, you and Anthony, out in embarrassment and humiliation or out of honour in order not to be enslaved by the Romans? And did, did you poison yourself? No, I was no coward. I was just in love. Okay, wow, that was beautiful. Please keep that one in. <laughs> so deep. Um, but basically what happened is that Mark Anthony heard a rumour that I had committed suicide. Um, he fell on his sword like the idiot that he is and he died. I mean, I love him, but what a stupid death. Worst part is he died just as news arrived that the rumor had been false and I was absolutely devastated. And I just used a poisonous snake known as the asp, a symbol of divine royalty to commit suicide. And I was 39. That is heartbreaking. The Shakespeare fully exploited this later on and created a very famous a play called Romeo and Juliet, which uses you and Mark Antony together to to um, play that out as well. So this, this story has been honoured, let me, uh, let me tell you. But what I want to know is what happened to my body, like after I was mummified. Well, actually, Cleo, according to your wishes, to be honest, your body was buried with, with Anthony's. Huh. And then, of course, you... Octavian celebrated his conquest of Egypt and consolidation of power in Rome and this is slightly the end of the Egyptian Empire as Rome then took over. But, however, Cleo, you had mocked the Roman Empire, especially with the donations of Alexandria. You had declared your children Helios and Cellini to rule over various territories under Anthony's triumphal authority, which is a classic move, Cleo. So I think you should be proud of yourself, to be honest. Actually, I have one cheeky question for you. After Caesar and Mark Antony, did you ever consider going for Octavian? It is an enticing idea to sleep in the arms of the man who ruled under the golden era of Rome, but he was too arrogant for me, and, I mean, nobody likes an arrogant man. At least I don't, do you? I cannot stand arrogance. It's the worst trait in a man. So we do have Papyrus surviving, which shows that you were very diligent and very committed to ensuring that food supplies got through to people. And you corrected taxes, were paid, and you ensured there was no corruption. So that, that's the sources we have of Alexandria about you, that you actually adored by the Egyptians of Alexandria, maintained a steady relationship with your citizens. And this was despite the fact that you killed your brother, Plutonomy the 13th. So why do you think that despite that, they still respected you? I took control, maintained taxes and maintained a steady grain supply. The vexed crafter was established in my port so that unreliable flooding of the Nile resulting in failing crops did not lead to inflation and hunger. So the surviving testaments we have, which are positive, are by the Egyptians, but of course it's the reverse when it comes to Romans. Everything written about you has been about men, and Plutarch is actually Greek, but Cicero and Horace are Roman men, so 
they were going to offer pretty negative accounts. Quelle surprise! I imagine because my fair background demonstrates the likes of a dictator, the Romans, they loved, or at least pretended to love, the Republic. If you reach pompous senates in a, to- in a toga controlling the whole population, at least we Egyptians don't pretend that the plebeians have a say. They just don't. Everyone knows that. End of the story. <clears throat> Sorry about that. <laughs> Makes me a bit tense. Uh, I represented a divine monarch and a more repugnance to those aristocratic senates. I, I like that. I like that. The fact that the, you didn't actually pretend. Because, you know, the plebeians, everything they said got vetoed in the Republic anyway. So, so basically the senate was a group of old aristocratic men which effectively made all the decisions and maintained Roman slavery, which they liked to control. Uh, exactly. So they all envisioned me coming over and feeding Caesar manipulations about single-wall monarchy. This is, in fact, what a lot of Roman men attribute to his dive into dictatorship, why he crossed the Rubicon, why he exceeded his rule over his allotted time designated by the Republic. They say it was my influence. But I had made my mark on the city. In my opinion, I was a demonstration of Rome's power, incorporating exotic elements from distant parts of the world. Yours was less, as the Roman writers make out, a manipulation, and more actually keen to form a political alliance. And then, of course, there's the love aspect. But it's pretty clear that your love for Antony was stronger. Is that correct? It is, yeah. yeah. Actually, the, the, it's interesting that you mentioned the exotic elements into the Rome, Roman Empire because according to a historian Joan Fletcher he said so many Roman women adopted the Cleopatra look that often statues have been mistaken for Cleopatra herself you have been remembered in greatness I think the the tantalizing thing about you is that there's there's little evidence that, that survives from Egypt but the evidence does not present you as physically striking as once believed okay you're you're beautiful Clearly, I have you in the studio, I can see that. But Egyptians minted you with Egyptian coins, show you as with a large hooked nose and not looking, you know, incredible. But Roman sources portray you as the most beautiful woman that's ever existed, very sexually alluring. So it's not all that surprising that they made it all seem like it was sort of enticement, seducing. So... The official documentation is is constructed on propaganda around you, especially with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. And this creates a feminization of Mark Antony, and this was intolerable for Rome. So I think as to help themselves, they made you out to just be the seductress. When it's very clear after talking to you that it's more about your intelligence, your charm, and actually deep connections. So, yeah, having heard your perspective, it's, it's your... Your, your exotic beauty and your powers of seduction are not what have earned, earned you your place in enduring history and popular myth. I mean, it does not surprise me in the slightest that Roman propaganda painted me as a debauched temptress who used my sex appeal as a political weapon with irresistible charm. Um, like, it's not about beauty. Uh, I believe my intellect to be superior to my appearance. I spoke as many as a dozen languages and was educated in mathematics, philosophy, oratory and astronomy. I mean, come on. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, and also Egyptian sources later described you as a ruler who elevated the ranks of scholars and enjoyed, enjoyed their company. So I think in Egypt, you've been revered 
So do you, do you have any questions for me, Cleo? What happened to my baby, Cesarian? I was hoping you wouldn't ask this, to be honest. I mean, he, at 16 year olds, he became the sole ruler, but he was captured and, and executed shortly after your, um, your death, which was pretty inevitable, Cleo. And I know it's heartbreaking, but it's, it's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, but more importantly, like, am I still famous? I, I preferred that question to be honest easier to tell you a film made about you this has had massive production problems and script issues basically a film is putting written accounts on papyrus and putting it on a screen so that everyone can see it in sort of motion picture imagine art you go to your, go watch cave drawings and sculptures then this starts to move you, you get me yeah I mean okay so this is the main thing you said am I still famous you were famously played by Elizabeth Taylor, a famous woman. And it is the most expensive movie ever made for its time, to the extent that it bankrupted the box office. And even taking into account inflation, it still remains one of the most expensive movies in history today. So am I still famous? I mean, it was a $44 million uh, production, which at its time in 1963 was... In incredibly um, expensive thing and people still talk I mean you're on civil service so that that speaks volumes doesn't it I think the main thing you should know is you're you're still extremely famous and very much revered and there's more and more investigations into you I'm glad that I'm still famous yeah at least it was all worth it that that's a man man man's world <laughs> Cleo honestly thank you so much for coming on thank you it was very enlightening things are confusing I mean, interesting and fascinating. Erotism between men certainly boosts the fighting spirit. Savage, sassy, and sanctimonious. This is a male statue. Why is he a victim? Why is he a pain? Why is he an agony? Forgery is the most fun an architect can have without smashing up marble. We must either conquer or die with glory.